Welcome to the 28th episode of the Professional on the Go podcast. I'm your co-host, Barry Moltz. Professional on the Go is a show that will give you the inspiration, the tips and the tools on how to win and live your best life as an independent professional. My co-host is Chinwe Onogoro, who's the CEO of Pocket Suite, which is an office in your pocket for independent service professionals. It's the mobile business management app that helps self-employed professionals get booked, paid, and make extra income to run their own business from the palm of their hand. Chinwe, I'm excited about our guest today for you to introduce. Thanks so much, Barry. We're talking to Nicole Stewart today. Nicole's a celebrity fitness trainer who has trained the likes of Kate Hudson, Portia de Rossi, Goldie Hawn, Anna Ferris, and so many more. Nicole practices a creative style of Pilates that blends dance, yoga, stretching, and cross-training to help her clients benefit their bodies, minds, and spirits. Nicole has appeared on MSNBC and in numerous magazines, including People, W Magazine, Us Weekly, InStyle. And she even has an iPhone app that's available in iTunes and is being sold worldwide. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Nicole, you have an impressive career as a fitness trainer and in some ways a wellness guru. Fitness wasn't where you got your start, though. You were a dancer. Can you tell us what drew you to dance initially? Um, I just, I always gravitated towards it. Um, I grew up in Las Vegas and I think, I don't know, maybe I saw a lot of shows growing up as a kid, but the art and entertainment, I always gravitated towards. And, um, I don't know, I guess I could say also movies like fame maybe inspired me. Um, and I Exactly. And then I just said to my mom, mom, I want to dance. And she, um, you know, was awesome. She took me to dance class and I danced from that day forward, you know, with one of the, you know, best teachers in Las Vegas. Her name was Inez Morning. And um, boy, did she teach me work ethic. I mean, she was really tough. But I still, to this day, like she, that was a present, you know, that she gave me because I remember I was learning a routine and I was taking privates and I showed up and I didn't rehearse and I was young. I don't even know how old I was. And she just laid into me and I left crying like, like, you know, today that probably like would be like, I don't know, not you know, dance teachers probably can't do that today. (laughs) But I have to say, like, I went home and I cried and I cried and my mom took me back, like not the next day, but the day after. And I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And, uh, but boy, did I practice my ass off from that point forward. And if there was any, any present in that, it was like, to not be lazy, <laughs> you know, and really like when you're doing something, do it a hundred percent and do it all the way. And it's what stuck you- with me through my entire life. And I love her and I thank her for it. And I haven't seen her in years. So it did Inez somehow know that like the industry would be like super tough. So she wanted to kind of get you sort of battle tested for that. Or was there something else behind her like sort of tough love? Um, I think she knew I was capable of more. So she, like, I guess by yelling at me and berating me, brought that out in me, you know? Um, and 
I, I mean, I think it was perfectly acceptable, as painful as it was. I mean, I was so young at the time, but I look back now as an older adult and I was like, God, that is exactly what I needed. Well, it, my, I mean, you, my mom wasn't going to do that, you know? What's interesting is you went home crying. So you cared enough too about what she thought about doing well, about not disappointing, even at that early age when you didn't really know what was kind of coming next. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I wanted to do a good job, you know, and her, basically she was saying like, you didn't do a good job because you didn't practice. So how are you going to get good at something if you don't practice? Wow. That's, and just that's like a like, foreshadowing of your career to come, right? Consistency, practice, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's why, you know, I believe, and I'm, you know, I'm not great at everything, obviously. <laughs> I have to do things over. That's how I learn. Like, from repetitions and people are supernaturally talented in, you know, with anything. It could be from painting to dance to whatever. But for me, I just had to like I have to do things over and over and over and over again. And that's how I've gotten better at things. What do they call that? Muscle memory? Just mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so one of the things that strikes me, and we talk to so to, to so many people who are pursuing careers that frankly are, you know, different than the traditional kind of lawyer, doctor, engineer. And one of the things they say over and over is that their parents were really nervous. They were fearful of them taking that path as an artist, right? As a creative. But it sounds like your mom was really supportive. Yeah. I mean, she was so supportive in the way she knew how with, um, you know, loving me and taking me to dance classes and things like that, for sure. She was supported me 100% and always said, like, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Like, I had no issues with her on that front. So, so I was lucky. So fast forward, you 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 practice, you, you develop this craft, and then you become a, a professional dancer? Well, I mean, I auditioned to go to the dance, um, uh, my God, the Department of Dance at UCSB when I was 18 because I thought, oh, I'll go to school for dance. And then I went, I got accepted, I auditioned, I auditioned with my friend um, and she got accepted too. But then I'm like, wait, why am I going to get a degree in dance? You know, for a minute, I was like, (laughs) is that really going to pay off? And then I was like, well, I want to act. I'm like, (laughs) I decided to act instead. Um, And uh, I'm just laughing because it's like, you know, the the, the jump from dance to acting is pretty much the same thing. (laughs) Right. Was that like, it seems like an adjacent, like it wasn't too big of a pivot though, right? Because you were able to use dance and acting. Yeah, but you know, I didn't know that at the time and if anything I could look back and say I was really lost like I was super lost when I turned 18 like I didn't know what to do I didn't know and I went to UNLV and I took all these classes but I just and I just didn't know what to do um and I kept dancing and I kept taking acting classes And did the best I could in everything, but I still, I was so lost, you know? So I moved to New York when I was 18 um, and stayed there for like four or six months. I went to Stella Adler and worked, you know, six days a week, I think. I worked in Ann Klein Knitwear and the New York Health and Racquet Club. 
and then went to school at night for the evening conservatory program. And then my mom was like, you need to come back and finish school. And so I came back to finish school, but I really was like, what am I doing? And then my friend who was dancing in a show was like, hey, we need somebody to fill in. Somebody got sick. They dropped out of the show. Do you want to do it? And I auditioned and I got the show. And then the show went to, it's a Las Vegas review. And then the show went to Texas for like, I don't even remember so many years ago, I would say four to six months. So we did Texas and then I came back to Las Vegas. And then I think I came to LA for a weekend and I ended up saying, okay, I'm going to move here. Like just cold, like not knowing anything at all. I went home, I packed my bags. I moved into an apartment. A friend was here and, um, I never, I ended up getting a job. I knew somebody who was like working as a, I don't know, something on a movie, a line producer. And he hired me to be an assistant, a production assistant on this movie. And I moved here and I never looked back. So here's what's really interesting. So you, you said it a couple of times. I was lost. I was lost. Usually when, you know, people are in sort of the, the sort of throes of their career and they're feeling lost, it's, it's almost a form of paralysis. They actually stop moving. But the thing about your story is you kept moving. You kept moving. You went to New York. You went back home. You, you kept moving. What was, what was that inner force that was driving you to just keep moving in spite of not necessarily having a clear destination? Oh, to, to change my life. To change... Um, I guess, to not become a victim of my circumstances, to make something better of myself than what I grew up in. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. And there, I mean, but there must have been a conviction that you would find it, right? Because it's like you're moving because you're sort of searching for something you haven't yet felt, but you know it's out there. That's really powerful. Yeah, I don't know. There was just something so determined inside of me that I was going to change and not create a better life for myself. And it sounds like when you reached L.A., something something clicked, something happened. And you said, no, I, I can plant a flag here. Yeah, I think it was just like, like I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, had I known now what I, you know, when I moved here, I mean, I guess I still would have done it, but boy, was it challenging, you know, to move here when you're 20. I didn't know really. I mean, I got that job like by fluke on the movie and um, it was just like one thing slowly led to another. Um, yeah. And then like funny stories, like somebody on the movie was like, Oh, um, you should, you look a lot like Demi Moore. You should go to this, um, uh, lookalike agency. They like hire people. And I was like, that's ridiculous. This is the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. So then the movie ended and I was looking for work and I was like, um, maybe I'll just go to this place. <laughs> Cause I don't know what I would possibly do, but okay. 
and I went there and he was like, oh, I, he was like the, the number one celebrity, like whatever person. I had no interest in ever doing anything like that. But, um, uh, and then like literally like two days later, he's like, um, yeah, I got a call. They need someone for some movie or something. I don't know. Just go down Culver Studios. This is the address. Wow. And I was like, okay. So I go down and I meet this casting director named Victor Davis, who I'll never forget. I don't know where he is today, but, um, and he's like got dreadlocks and he's super Rasta and he comes out and look, Culver Studios, I've never been there before. And he's like, um, hey, all right, come on, come on back. You know, he's like, I'm gonna show you to some people. And I'm like, Well, what's this for? He's he's like, Oh, you don't know? And I'm like, No. And we're walking into the sound stage, and then I walk under the set, and there's like, you know, I what I didn't know was like a director and the DP. And they're like looking at me and they're like, Yeah, she'll do, she'll she's good. And then I turn and turn around and I'm like, what's this for? <laughs> I had no idea. Oh and, um, and it was like a courtroom setting and I was like, what's going on? No. And it was for a few good men. And I ended up seeing Demi Moore stand in on that movie, just like out of nowhere. That's unbelievable. Um, That's and unbelievable. The, the craziest thing to me is that, I have been lucky enough to work with, I have trained her, not a lot, but I have trained her, but um, I really got to work with her daughters oh, wow. um, for a long time. And they're just awesome girls. But for me, it's just like such a weird thing because I think she just had um, scout, it was scout or rumor um, during that movie, I can't, I don't know for a fact, but it was one of them and they were a little, you know, it was a little baby. And I remember her walking by with the baby and anyway, it's just funny. It's just such a weird story for me. I don't know. Maybe it's not weird to anyone else, but well, me, I mean, what's inter- what's really fascinating about it is that again, you kept moving. So you, you sort of like stumble into this, you know, iconic film. <laughs> You're like, what's this? <laughs> And um, and you just kept moving. Like again, there's an energy about your movement <laughs> that seems to be like the thread that that sort of has led you down the path you've gone. Uh, so you so you talked about training. You sort of slipped that in. But how did that happen? So you were acting at some level, yeah, and then you became a trainer. How how what was the path to that? I mean, I was waitressing. I opened the House of Blues, which is no longer there in Sunset. I worked at an Italian restaurant named Di Pasquale on Sunset Boulevard. I worked at the St. James Club, which is now the Tower Bar on Sunset Boulevard. Was this like the challenging period in L.A. for you? Or was this like, how would you characterize this time? You were sort of, you know, opening up here and it's more iconic. like a time, there was a time where there was like even between that and waitressing, which was so like, you know, it was like rolling pennies in like those things to like eat, you know? And, um, I had a friend who worked at, or she dated a guy who owned this restaurant and at night, this French bakery, I can't remember, Doughboys, all the bread, I guess, that he would throw away, he would give to me. And the guy who owned the restaurant was like, if you go get the bread, you can eat here for free. 
like literally that's wow. like how I was eating. Wow. So I go to the French guy at Doughboys, pick up the bread, bring it over to the restaurant. <laughs> and, the, and then I would be able to eat for free. So I was like, okay, I've got food covered. Now, how am I going to do everything else? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Oh my gosh. So, so you, you were opening up all of these restaurants and waitressing and sort of moving. And then at some point you discovered Pilates. Like, yeah, I was, I was at that point, I think I'd been waitressing like four years, five years. And again, I'm just throwing out numbers here because it all feels like such a crazy blur that I look back and like, oh, but the, then it feels like it was like a couple years ago too. Um, and uh, what was I doing? We were doing Uta Hagen's masterclass and I was like warming up on the, 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 in the back area. And I was with my friend who was a Pilates trainer and I was like asking everyone, I'm like, do you know of a job, assistant, anything? I like can't waitress anymore. I'm about to lose my mind, you know? And, and I just kept asking people, do you know of anything? Just let me know. Do you? And I was calling people and, um, and he knew I was looking for another job. So anyway, I started warming up and I started, I don't know, I was doing like pot de beret, pot de beret, which is a dance thing. And then like pirouettes on the, uh, the, it was like the parking structure. It was outside. And I don't know, he just started cracking up at me and laughing. And he's like, oh my God, I didn't know you could like really dance. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, um, you know, I might be able to get your job at this Pilates studio, but the owner is on the road training Sharon Stone. And but let me call her and ask. And that is basically what happened he called he asked she said well he's like but listen at least you can work out for free and I'm like oh my god this is like insane I have no money but I get to do Pilates for free and um, Fred, like, Fred for free I love it <laughs> yeah and um so I went there a bunch and I worked with um all the trainers there, you know, and, uh, she was still gone. And then I guess what happened was she came back in town and she said, you know, we're really, really not hiring. And she goes, it's really slow right now at the studio, but keep in touch. So that's exactly what I did. I like called her every week. I'm like, are you hiring yet? Are you hiring yet? And, um, she's like, all right, come in. She's like, um, come in at one. I'll be done training Madonna um, right before you. And I said, okay. So I was she the only person you were calling in this way, sort of following up because this was the opportunity you wanted or were there other opportunities you were also following up on? Like, I don't think I had any other opportunities to be honest. (laughs) Like, I think it was like, this was my only opportunity. And I think that's why I like jumped on it, but I didn't even know what I was really like jumping into. I always feel like there was this like, sort of like, uh, these blinders on, like, I didn't really know what I was jumping into, which is great. Cause there's sort of no fear at all. Right. But then you also sometimes get into situations where you're like, Oh my God, what did I get myself <laughs> into? Um, which is definitely, it works both ways with me. So, uh, I, um, I went there and I worked out with her and she said, Oh, well, what do you remember? And I'm like, and I panicked, you know, and I'm like, nothing. (laughs) So she's like, all right, get on the mat and let's work out. 
that was the one thing that I like kept up with her and I just understood Pilates and it was from all the years of dance I did. And she looked at me and she was like, and I was like red face, super puffy, sweating. <laughs> and I said, all righty then. And she just started laughing and she's like, when can you start? Oh, Wow. What, what, what do you think, what do you think did it for her, right? They, she wasn't hiring. Them. You know what? It's so funny. I made her laugh. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> and you're now kidding. I'm like talking to you right now and I'm like, oh, I made Vince laugh, you know? <laughs> um, wow. And I don't know. Just something about that. Um, I think light energy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, so yeah, she was like, well, you'll start, you know, I didn't start training people the next day, but, um, I waitressed at night and then I would go and like answer phones in the morning and I would work the front desk and I just did whatever I needed to do. There was like, uh, and while I was learning what to do, then there was a producer who worked there who needed, um, like, like an assistant and I worked for her part-time and I kept learning how to do the craft of Pilates from Mari. Mari basically is one of those people that changed my life. You know, I don't know if this happens to you, but where you meet someone where they just like change your life in a way, I've had like a handful of those people. And There's no question about that. And, yeah. and they don't know, they don't actually know the role they're playing, but they, they do it beautifully and uh, everything changes. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do you call that? I don't know. Is that luck? Is that fortuitiveness? I don't know what it is, but that's what I have experienced in my life with certain people. And I can name them on my hand. I think maybe there's maybe five people so far. You well, know? It, sound, it sounds like you're super tenacious, though. Like you never gave up. You're calling every week. You're moving like it sounds like, you know, as I, again, I always say it's sort of when preparation meets opportunity and you mm -hmm. just created, you in some ways you created a, a lot of these opportunities by just continuing to show up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, just putting myself into the mix without really knowing what I was doing. <laughs> what the mix was, right? So yeah. at what point did you decide this is going to be my career? I'm, this is what I'm going to do. Honestly, it was never, um, uh, like a decision, Do you know, it just, um, it just organically happened it. And it was so easy. And I just often think I'm like, gosh, it just that me training Pilates was so meant to be because it just happened. And I know that's crazy. Cause I hate when people say that when, uh, when I'm listening to actors <laughs> and they're like, it just happened. You're like, what does that mean? And now I get it. I totally get it now. I'm like, Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it just, um, I just started working there and then I got one client then another, and then picked up all my clients and it organically happened to the point where I was going to, I was getting all these house calls outside of the studio and Mari was only paying me a certain amount. And again, I took the leap of faith by jumping out on my own, which was very scary. And, um, and I also, I think I did a play at the time 
So I was basically leaving my clients there and just going to go for my house calls and um, do this play. And, and I, did, you know, I didn't think of like what's going to happen in six months. What, you know, what were you, what were you hoping were, would happen with those things? Like uh, these house calls are going to uh, do what for my life? And this play is playing what role for me? Um, I, you know, I still had that desire. Like I really wanted to, and I, you know, I look back with the acting stuff and I'm like, Oh my God, like if there's just such a, there was such a naivety about my outlook on it. Like I thought for sure I was going to make it as an actress, you know? Um, and, but I feel like I just, my head wasn't in the right place, but I, you know, obviously I'm doing a play. Everyone's like, do plays, you know, get noticed that way. So I thought maybe I'll get noticed this way. And then the house calls can support me because I'm making more money from the house calls than I was making at the studio. So I just thought, okay, I can support myself with house calls. And, um, and I felt like at that time I was getting more house calls and more clients. And, um, and that's when I actually met, um, what was it? No. But I'm going to back up a little bit. When I was at Mari's studio before the house calls, um, I ended up getting this job to go on the road with Courtney Love. Because Mari, Mari didn't want it, and Courtney was looking for somebody to travel with her. Right. And it didn't pay enough for Mari, but for me, I, I heard her on the phone. Like, I was eavesdropping, you know? And, like, she hung up and, like, <laughs> I want that job. <laughs> like, and she's like, oh, well, I recommended this uh, the, another trainer here already. And I was like, oh, okay. But the other trainer d- ended up passing on it, and it came back to me. And I was like, yes, I want it. So I went and met Corny Love up at her house with Mari on Heather Road. I don't know. It's so funny because I remember specifically everywhere in L.A. I was. Wow. Um, and uh, Corny was cool. And she was like, you know, when do you want to start? And I was like, well, when are you leaving? You know, she's like, this isn't a fancy trip. You're going to be on my bus <laughs> and we're going like, you know, from state to state. And I was like, I don't care. I'm just, I really want to work with you, you know? And she hired me and I did that. And then I came back from that and I was like debt free. I paid off all my college debt and everything else. And then I had a little extra money and I was just. How long of a trip was that? Sounds like a pretty lucrative job. No, no. It was like four or five weeks. It wasn't that long, really. And what kind of like what what is what is going on the road and like providing this training look like? Is that like you know you just kind of did it did it in in between performances or yeah yeah and like the company at the time I think it was I don't know if maybe Balanced Bodies they made this like reformer that you could like pull apart and travel with on a tour bus. Wow, those are huge reformers, and it was, and it so was that's hard to awesome. picture. You know, I wish I would have taken more pictures on that part of my, you know, journey. Um, but yeah, so um, I forgot your question. <laughs> was was it just Courtney or was it like the whole band or? No, no, it was just Courtney. Oh, and I would do it like, you know, before she went on stage, I would stretch her out, you know, um, before she 
do vocal warm-ups and and such I would um and then like during the day before we left for wherever she was playing we'd work out we'd do like a mat class you know um and on days off we would do the reformer or if it was backstage we do mat class or it was like you know I just kind of rolled with it I just literally rolled with it and, and did, did, you it. Cons- did, did it did it turn out to be kind of another big break like did you get start getting the house calls as a result of having kind of gone and yeah 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 it was actually because she ended up going to Canada and um I stayed in town and that's when Kate Hudson, I guess, went up to see she was Kate was in Canada, probably at her house there. And she saw her body. She went backstage and she was like, babe, what are you doing? Your butt, your body looks amazing. <laughs> and Courtney was like, oh, Nicole, you got to try her, you know. So that was the first time Kate heard my name. And then um, the second time. And then so this is all happening Right. And then I'm leaving. I'm going to do a play. I'm doing a few house calls to support myself. And then um, I also am doing a short film at the time. And the wardrobe person on the short film knows I just started training Pilates, knows I went on the road with Courtney. And he also worked at this store this infamous store that was on Sunset Plaza called Tracy Ross. And, um, like, it was just, like, this really um, trendy, fashionable store that a lot of people went into. It was great. It was really cool. And um, I guess Kate was in there shopping, and I have no idea why, but she was, like, paying you know getting her clothes or whatever and guys putting them in the bags and I guess she was like do you know Pilates trainer and he was like yeah he's like my friend Nicole so that's the second time she heard my name universe bringing you together again (laughs) (laughs) And, and uh so he wrote my number you know this was before everyone had cell phones wrote my number down with paper and pen and gave it to her in a ripped piece of paper. And she called me as soon as she left in the car because she was starting Almost Famous. Wow. And that is the way that began. Wow. And so and so you started, you know, getting house calls and then decided I'm going to go out on my own and, and just do house calls and continue acting. Yeah. Um, and Well, it was like sort of a dream situation at the time because I'm like, oh, my God. I can make my own schedule. I'm making decent money. I love what I'm doing and I can still pursue acting. Wow. Like what, like what more could I ask for? You just described the life of an independent fitness professional. That's amazing. So just, this is a curiosity, right? Cause there are 300,000 licensed or certified fitness professionals in the country and obviously millions globally. Like one of the questions is, is it fundamentally different to be doing house calls for celebrities and sort of, you know, I- engaging and training them than it is to be training kind of a working woman or everyday working woman, a stay at home mom. I mean, Honestly, I don't think so. I mean, people are people, right, at the end of the day. Um, Some people are busier than others, you know. Um, 
it, it, it's all the same to me, really. Um, it, when you think about celebrities, in some ways, they're a brand, right? And so they're shaping their bodies in part because they've got movies and that, that that count on them looking a certain way. Is it are the stakes higher for you in terms of like I've got to produce these results um, versus someone who's doing it to just stay fit and stay healthy, but there's not like a clear kind of line. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, yes, that there is a difference in that. Like if someone's going to go shoot a movie in a bikini, yeah, it's totally like much more um, intense, I would say, than a housewife I've been training for 20 years who's very comfortable in her body and weight. And she just wants to come in and see me because she likes moving her body. You know, she's not looking for the perfect whatever. She's not on camera. So, yes, that, of course, that is totally different. Um, so, and so it, you, I you, thought you meant like as in a person, as in Oh, people. I see. Yeah. <laughs> no. I was like, no, they're all people. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you're like, you're reported as being quoted saying with exercise or any pursuit, consistency over a long period of time equals results. And so yeah. it's really powerful because it's, it's age old wisdom. Right. And at the same time, it's like sometimes you have to produce results really fast. Like how can you, like, how do you deliver on that when truly it is consistency and it's about sustainability? I, I, it depends on who it is. It depends on what they need. It depends on how much time they have, but you immediately put them on, you know, uh, an intense workout regime. If it's like three weeks or four weeks or one, I don't know, I've never had a one week situation, but, uh, <laughs> You know, I've had like a month to whip people into shape and it, it, look, I do what I do. I can do my job. They have to do their job, which means they have to get on a really restricted, um, diet. So, and I have people I work with that I send people to or delivery meal services or whatever the person feels comfortable with, or if they want to hire a chef, I don't know. Everyone has different wants and needs, but they really have to go basically on a very restricted diet. Like you see all these actors go on when they're, they have to lose 50 pounds, you know? Um, so, but they also have to be really careful as well, you know? Yeah. I always hear that like 80% of it is what you eat. Like 20% is sort of like the body shaping, the physical sort of, uh, routines. But if, if you don't eat right, it's really hard to, to accomplish your goals in that area. Correct. I agree a hundred percent. And you know, it's, it's, it's the same with me. Like it's how much food am I shoving into my mouth? <laughs> you know, I mean, at the end of the day, and it also, when I say that, I also mean like, you know, it's obviously healthy food. You know what I mean? Like when I say I'm like calories, I'm a big fan of counting calories. Um, but it's also, I'm saying like eating healthy food as well, not right. just like, oh, a Big Mac is like 1500 calories and that's all I'm going to eat. Don't just offset like, it. Right, right. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> right. come on. <laughs> um, so shifting gears a little bit. So many independent professionals have come to the show and, and talked about the importance of an exit strategy. Sort of when you live a life of service, at some point, you know, you want to wind it down or you want to do something else or you want to retire. And 
Um, many have different sort of approaches and thoughts about how they create their exit strategy. You've developed, you know, many training and educational videos. You even have an app, you know, in, in the app store. Um, what was your vision when you decided to create that, that app and um, sort of how did you go about it? Um, my computer guy was at my house at the time, and this is when apps literally just started 2010, perhaps. Um, and I'm like, what's an app, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and then I was just, he explained what it was to me. And I just thought that that was the coolest thing ever. And (laughs) I was like, you you mean I could like create something that people could buy? Like, and I just, anyway, he explained it to me. But at that time I was also, this is so funny. I clients who did travel, who couldn't take me or they wanted like a routine while they were away. So I originally made DVD videos of myself working out for my clients and I would give them that. And I thought, oh my God, I could put these DVDs into an app and then they don't even need to carry a DVD with them anymore. Wow. So the Uh, original kind of, I mean, it's it's such a huge craze now, online fitness training with Peloton and all these other, like you were the original sort of let's like, you know, use this when you travel. Wow. So that's sort of what, I mean, I just, I just never, I was like, oh, if I sell like a few a month, that'll be awesome. You know, it'll just be like extra, you know, money. And I found that like, I mean, I feel like I, they haven't sold as much as I would have liked, obviously, but, um, it's also like, uh, really promoting them. And I just, I haven't really promoted them. I mean, I tell people I have them, but I just, I don't. I don't hire a publicist or anything at all like that. I mean, if I do an interview, I'll mention them. And that's usually when they sold, you know, is when they're mentioned. And now I don't really like apps or dealing with Apple anymore, unfortunately. Um, But I put them on Vimeo on demand. And I just think it's such, it's much better platform. And it's direct. It's direct. And you don't, there's no updates you have to do and there's no real guideline, like there's guidelines, but with Apple, it became so confusing. Like every, whenever you had to do an update, I have to update the app. So they're still there, um, but they work better on Vimeo on demand. (laughs) So, So, you know, again, just super excited and inspired just by this, this movement in your life. And, and as I think about the, really the millions of independent professionals that are thinking about or moonlighting and, and really sort of trying to find their North star. Um, we really talk to folks about, um, being inspired enough to work for yourself and make a good living. What's your idea of the good life and how do you live it every day? Jeez, that's heavy. Um, <laughs> I'm like, ah, I'm still thinking about exit strategy because it's so <laughs> funny because I feel like I'm in one of those places again, like this real sort of like tipping point place. I mean, I feel like I live a good life. I feel so lucky every day. Like I'm so appreciative of 
the people I've been fortunate to work with and meet and the lifestyle I've been provided, you know, by doing that and by meeting all of these, these clients. Um, and, um, but I also feel like, you know, like I want to buy a house one day, you know? So, and there's always that financial worry, of course. Um, now I have a child, you know, and it's like, always like, you know, there's like that hidden pressure of everything, even though it's fine, everything's fine. Like, I'm not complaining. Like, um, we're all, my mom's still alive and we're all healthy and, um, that for me is like the number one, I get it. I get to exercise every day. Like how cool is that? You know, because I mean, my God, I don't know, like not to bring the whole podcast down, but Mari ended up getting ALS. Um, and she's like bedridden and that has just really, really, really did a number on me. Um, yeah. So you just never know in life. It's just so crazy. Um, so I feel like I'm living the good life to answer your question. And yes, there is more. And yes, I am still like searching for that. Um, like I, you know, it's funny. I don't even feel like I'm that successful. I mean, I feel like I did a good job, you know, many would disagree. You've inspired hundreds of thousands. It's so funny when you're like, Oh, I want to do an interview with you guys. I'm like, I don't know why people want to do interviews with me. (laughs) Like it's so weird, but I'll do it because I do think I have a message and I do think I have a, a good story to tell, you know, about not giving up for sure. Um, and like through all of this, I've still pursued my art. Like I still, I wrote a memoir, which is called Vegas Baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm looking for a publisher for that. And it's a great story. It's like against all odds story, you know? And, um, and so there's that. I still want to, to get published and sell. And, and, and then I wrote, a script based off of that, which actually Kate is supposedly supposed to direct and produce, but, you know, like waiting for those things is very sort of slow, um, because it's not going to, you know, it's a low budget, whatever. It's not going to make a lot of money kind of situation. Um, it's more art, art, and I think more creative fulfillment than anything, um, for her, And then, so I'm waiting for that. I wrote, you know, I wrote another script and I wrote a short film that I recently shot. (laughs) I'm busy. I'm, you know, I did that this last summer and I'm planning to submit that into festivals and that's called 40-ish and it's a comedy and it's about a 40-year-old actress still trying to make it in Hollywood. And um, I think it's pretty funny. And, um, from that, there is a feature also. So, you know, I've still got all that creative stuff going and, um, and then in the middle of all that exit strategy, like I, I created a product that I think is amazing and awesome and that every woman needs one. It's, um, it's called a a Fitbib and it's Fitbib and it's, um, it's a bib 
that you literally wear around your neck and chest. It's for women mostly, because I don't know if you have this issue, if you ever get a sunburnt chest or you get sunspots mm-hmm. or freckles on your neck from being in the sun. Definitely. Uh, so I had laser. I went out in the sun again once and I'm sick of tying my shirts up around my neck. And I'm like, oh my God, I need something just for around my neck that will absorb the sweat. And I'm like Googling something like this. And I don't find anything. So I created this thing called a Fitbib and I'm, I'm, you know, selling it on the website. It's fitbib.com and it's, you know, moisture wicking. It's everything that I would want it to be. It has a magnetic clasp and I keep one in my car. And then I have one if I go hiking or running outside. Um, so I'm hoping that that will really, um, you know, um, give me an exit strategy. You know, Nicole, one thing is absolutely clear. Like the, uh, you know, the good life that I've heard from you is, is continuing to move. You've got a script, you've got a, sh- a, sh- a short film coming, you've got this new product and you're, you're still thinking about all of the other inflection points to come. Uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. You are an inspiration and you're, amazingly humble in spite of everything that you've uh, done and all the success you've had. It's tremendous. Thank you. Nicole, thanks so much for spending this time with us, being so candid, sharing your story and for everything that you've done to inspire people to uh, live well, uh, to be fit um, and to keep moving. Yes. Yes. I'm, if I, you know, I do feel if I inspire one, one person, that's really cool. And that I, you know, that that's, I don't know. It's what I like doing. Mission accomplished. As an independent business owner, freelancer, you and your team work in a lot of different places. This could be in the office at home or on site with clients, no matter where you are, You need your client information at your fingertips. This is exactly what you get with PocketSuite. You can be paid on the spot after booking with their credit card scan, or you can get your invoices paid in 24 hours or less, which is a heck of a lot faster than waiting 30 days. Remember, time is still money. You should have to be in your office to get work done, whether on the road, on site with a client, at home or on vacation, you should be able to access your client information, get booked and get paid from anywhere. Just for listeners, PocketSuite is offering two weeks of PocketSuite's premium version free. To claim your extra free trial week, just text them at 415 415- Eight four one two three zero zero with a special promo code two weeks free POTG. Well, welcome back to the Professional Go Podcast. Chinway, I have to say this is one of my favorite interviews because where else can you mention three of my favorite movies of all time? Fame, a few good men, and almost famous. Honestly, A Few Good Men is hands down the best Jack Nicholson film and Demi Moore film ever. Just the greats, right? Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Jack Nicholson. It's unbelievable that she was uh, at that place in time and really just stumbled into it. And you can't handle the truth. My favorite line from that movie. I have to exactly. I, I have to tell you, which I thought was so interesting about her honesty in the entire interview was that a lot of times when she was training for dance, she left crying, but she didn't necessarily see that as a bad thing. It just pushed her to strive harder. 
Yeah. Again, I do believe she is one of the most humble folks that we have interviewed. She, um, in some ways, doesn't internalize any of the things that she's been exposed to. She takes her personal principle around consistency and practice, and she applies it to her own life, that it's all just uh, an opportunity to learn and to build that muscle memory and keep moving. In so many ways, I love what she said, and she discussed that practice is so important because I believe that a lot of independent service professionals don't necessarily practice enough, or they don't realize that practice is so important to be great at your craft. Right. There is a difference between delivering services for a client over and over again and practicing your craft, right? So you may actually not be learning anything new in the context of delivering the service that you know, and you may not be learning the theory um, and the principles behind it in order to explore beyond what you're currently doing with clients. So there's a really important case to be made for carving out that time to continue building and honing your craft. When she said that she went to New York and she felt lost, you discussed that. What you're very impressed by her is that a lot of times when people are lost, they get paralysis, right? And she said, well, what prevented me from from just staying in one place and keep moving is I didn't want to be a victim. And, and, And I thought at that point she got very emotional because obviously this was a very pivotal point in her life. Yeah, I think there was a lot that probably wasn't said there about the context and the circumstances that she came from, um, because it sounds like she wasn't wearing it um, in terms of sort of defining who she was and what what her possibilities were, which is really powerful. So many of us take our initial circumstances and we use it as a way to box ourselves in rather than as a as something to lift us as far as we want to go. I love this idea of just taking your initial circumstances because while I think it is difficult to change your initial circumstances, obviously a lot of us don't get the same level of opportunities that many other people do. It is possible to make progress against your initial circumstances? It is. Listen, one of the reasons why I love independent service professionals is because really what it takes is talent and time, right? So like, you don't, you're you're not a manufacturer. You don't have to buy a bunch of inventory to buy a bunch of machines to be able to have a good life, right? And so you're not really limited by your initial circumstances if you can and are committed to investing in yourself and in your talents. And if you're willing to devote some time, you can turn that into something. As she demonstrated, you can turn that into a lot of things. Well, for certainly for Nicole, love was the answer in form of Courtney Love, right? Exactly. As well as her love of Pilates, of course. Right, exactly. And so I really see that for a lot of business professionals, when you get one break, that you can actually springboard that into many other things. I know for for myself, when I was able to get that first well-known brand, then I could stand on the shoulders of that well-known brand and get another customer. You can really build a business that way, and she seemed to do that with her personal training. Well, what's interesting is, like, it doesn't actually have to always end up that way. So when we talked to Harry Josh, she talked about he had a series of breaks, right? He had a break in South Beach, a break in New York, um, but he kept looking for that end destination. And so it wasn't enough to have just that one break. As I think about Nicole's story, she had a break when um, Inez 
was sort of taught her dance, right? And then she had another break when Mari taught her Pilates. And, you know, even though she didn't have a clear destination in mind, she had a theme around movement and continuing to pursue something and continuing to move her circumstances. And I think that's part of what, what drove her and led her to get the success she's achieved. And I think she's also been reflective about the people that really have had an impact on her life. And I think too often we don't say, wow, here are the three or four or five people that really have positively influenced my life or my business career. And I think it's important, uh, Chin Wei, to pause and think about it every once in a while. And you know, it's funny, you know, I wonder if Mari and Inez and so many of the other, I forgot the gentleman's name with the dreadlocks that kind of showed her the ropes on the set. I mean, I wonder how many of us actually not just recognize who helped us with our big breaks, but actually communicate that and express that to them, go back to them to say, hey, you changed my life. Imagine how uh, sort of empathetic and, and also how fulfilled we'd each be if we actually knew the impact that we were having on people that we in, that we interacted with, that we helped. Um, so I think there's a lesson in there for us to just really go back and have those conversations and, and to communicate that gratitude. You know, we're at the beginning of 2020, and I think that would be a great thing for all of us we should do is go back to one person that really has influenced your life and say, thank you. This is the way that you have really helped me. Certainly two people that have influenced my life from a business standpoint is Reva Lasansky and Rick Mazursky. And I've constantly gone back to them and said, you know, you told me to go left when I really want to go right. And it was really wrong to go right. I'm glad I went left. It's interesting. So for me, it's you know two two really important men in my life. One is my one of my older brothers. Um, his name is Ike Onyogoro, and he just kept pushing me to reach beyond you know what was obvious and what was comfortable, and uh, that changed my life. And the other was a gentleman by the name of Bernard Lloyd. He's trained as like a astro astronaut, and he's like two PhDs from MIT. But he was just instrumental. He had an offhand conversation with a reporter. Uh, who, who was uh, working at Cranes at the time. They were covering 40 Under 40. He says, have you met any interesting people who are super impressive? And he gave them my name. Wow. I have no clue why. And that, you know, just completely changed the game for me and my business at a very early time in my career. So, And I don't know that either of them really know this. So I'm grateful to just even be able to share it. Good time to go back. I also believe that you have to realize that these people can support you, as Nicole was talking about, when you have to take that leap of faith. As she said, when you have to jump out, there can be people that can be on either side and say, hey, I'm going to help you make this jump and it's going to be OK if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, it's funny because you remember the people who helped and supported and you you typically don't remember the naysayers. You don't remember the people that say you can't do it or you shouldn't do it because in the end, you know, you're so far from that past and it's really the the enablers that are um, embedded in your story and embedded in, in the success that you've had around it. Well, I'm fortunate enough that I only remember one or two peop evil people in my business life, <laughs> but Shinway, anybody that ever wronged my kid while they were growing up, I still remember them. Oh, you're kidding. I love it. I got a hard time <laughs> letting that go. Is there anything else that from Nicole's interview that really stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, when I asked her about the good life, it was almost like uh, an eruption of ideas and 
um, and, and sort of confessions and just revelations um, in terms of what she shared. It, you know, it was almost like, yeah, of course I've got a great life and here are all the reasons why. And I'm at another inflection point and here are all the things that I'm doing and the ways in which I'm moving um, as I go through this inflection. And for me, that was an unusual response to this question of, of the good life because you think about the good life as this sort of calm, peaceful kind of equilibrium state for people, however they get there. But for her, it was movement. It was continuing to act, continuing to move and towards something that that sort of uh, feeds her. And again, is maybe part of that changing her circumstances story. Yeah, and I think that we have to realize there are inflection points in our lives. I remember for me last year, it was the first time in my life where I said to myself, I'm not going to work as hard as I usually work. And I felt embarrassed by that. I almost felt ashamed, but I realized there were other non-work things that I wanted to do after working for 35 years, and now I'm okay with that. Yeah, if there's one thing I've learned, and and Barry, you're one of the hardest working people I know, so I find it hard to believe you. You know, you're, you've stepped, you're, you've taken your foot off the gas in any way. But the one of the things I've learned though is with the with experience, with all of this, these hours that you bank of services, whether it's um, in Dunbar's, you know, seminar, thousand seminars and workshops, or it's you know, Kyra Sundance's twenty thousand certified dogs, and so on and so on, you bank such a really big experience base that over time you actually don't have to work as hard because you're you're really transitioning to a phase of life where you're really sharing and you're communicating this sort of knowledge um, and this experience to to others um, and it's a different kind of work it's not a physical work as as, as much as it is um, really intellectual work and I think that's definitely the phase of life you're in now Barry. I think it I think it definitely is. And I also the last point I wanted to make was I also believe that she paused when you ask her about her exit strategy because I think that a lot of us don't think about we keep thinking our career is constantly going to progress, constantly going to reach new heights, but at a certain point there has to be some kind of exit strategy. Now some of us get the plan and some of us just keel over. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, think about uh, the, the Ian uh, Dunbar interview. We, he said he retired, and then he went on to talk about— you know, He's in the garden you know, talking and thinking about all these behavioral things. <laughs> exactly. So in the end, you know, an exit strategy doesn't mean you stop loving the things you love. It doesn't mean you stop thinking about them. It doesn't mean that you stop engaging in them. It just means that you're not um, doing them in any way necessarily to make a living anymore. It really is, uh, you know— you, you almost get to move almost strictly into the avocation, you know, business. Um, and it's less of, you know, truly that hard charging vocation. The natural progression of our careers. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining this week's Professional on the Go podcast. If you want more information about how you can run your business on a smartphone, go to www.pocketsuite.io. It's P-O-C-K-E-T-S-U-I-T-E.io. Remember, your time is money. Being your own boss is not a job. It's a lifestyle. Ready, set, go.